Welcome to The Significance of Wealth with Tom Ruggi, founder and CEO of Destiny Family Office. I'm Marty Salt. In each episode, Tom brings you interesting topics and guests that reflect the independent thinking and tailored strategies he uses with his own multifamily office clients, exploring the evolving landscape of wealth management and ultra-high net worth, shedding light on the large sphere of alternative and private investments, and delving into the world of collecting as both a passion and investment strategy. Ultimately, he looks at success with a broad lens that may well transform the way we all define the significance of wealth. Hi, I'm Marty Salt, along with Tom Ruggi, founder and CEO of Destiny Family Office, and we welcome you to the inaugural episode of The Significance of Wealth. In each episode, Tom will bring you interesting topics and guests that will help define the significance of wealth beyond normal financial expectations. These podcasts will take a broader look at success and how it's truly measured. So we hope it will help you transform your own ideas about things such as investing, philanthropy, family dynamics across generations, and the importance of following your passion. So Tom, it's great to talk with you today. It's great having you here. Always great to see you. Great to see you. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Absolutely. So you've been a financial veteran for 30 plus years. How did you get started? And have uh, have you always been a bit of an entrepreneur? Well, no, I haven't always been an entrepreneur and getting started in the financial services industry was, was a little bit of a stroke of luck, but I, I do have a, uh, a little note card in my office that I wrote to my grandmother when I was five years old. She'd sent me $5 and I, mm-hmm. I sent her a note, handwritten note and said, thank you so much. I'm putting it in the account and I, I want to build up some wealth someday. So it's always kind of been in my genes, but I, I did go to school for finance. It's, it's a long trek as to why I chose finance, but in essence, it boils down to my perception of what an accountant did or what a marketer does or what a finance Mm -hmm. person did while I was in in college. And that perception, because of the the, the three TV channel days, was really just based on TV shows and movies. And, And my perception of being in finance was, you know, working in a big building, wearing a nice spiffy suit, helping people with their money and and that was attractive to me. So I ultimately chose to do that while in college and was fortunate enough to land a good position uh, with a firm in 1991 when I graduated and uh, ultimately started my own firm in 1995. Wow, well that's been great. So so making money has been in your genes since you were a little kid. (laughs) I'd like to think so Uh, and and it's a good thing because spending money was was in my genes as a kid as well. the, the habits that I've tried to, to teach my clients, especially growing up in, in the industry, I had to teach myself as well. So Right, right. You need to bring it in before you spend it. That's you what you learn. Yeah. Pay yourself first is exactly, what I always tell people. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So what led you to turn your attention to opening Destiny Family Office in 2016? Well, having been in, in the business for uh, about 25 years at that point, I was really kind of reflecting on what is it I want to do for the rest of my career? And out of that, I I literally made a a list of what's important to me, what are the priorities, what do I want to be doing, who do I want to be doing it with? And what I realized is I enjoy working with very successful people that despite their success are still very involved and very passionate. And, you know, my top clients have more money than they'll ever need and, and yet I would suggest that uh, the majority of them probably work harder now than they did 10 or or 20 years ago. And so 
ha- having built up a you know a, a good number of very high net worth clients that have needs beyond you know, a lot of traditional type clients, it, it just became um, al- almost something that was necessary within the firm to be able to provide a, a much higher level or more detail oriented level of service to those people. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's also you know what I'm very passionate about. Tom, you've often said you live your core values. So what does that mean? And how does that relate to families you serve? Well, I, I think the biggest thing about the core values and, and, and really what I attribute a lot of the success of our firm to is we've always looked at things the way we would want it if we were on the other side of the table. You know, in, in other words, if, if we were the client, knowing what we know, what would we want? And, and it's kind of the, the golden rule of you know, doing to others as you'd want done to yourself. So I think that's the, the, the core premise of what makes up our core values is doing the right thing, you know, fanatical attention to detail, and, and bottom line is, is creating a, you know, a sense of certainty, a sense of peace of mind for our clients. And, and that's you know, really what our true core value is. And you've defined three powerful uniques of your firm. Yes. So, and what are those and how do they differentiate you? Well, on the family office side, our, our three uniques, I, th- I think, first of all, is we provide a, a, a family office type structure for high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. But more importantly, what we do is we bring everybody together so that we're all on the same team. So whether we're working with the, the CPA, working with the attorney, working with another investment advisor, even it, it's it's all about bringing everything together, brainstorming and, and together determining you know, what makes the most sense for this particular client in that situation. The second part is, is we have, for a firm our size, which we, you know, we just passed the billion dollar mark of, of assets managed this past year. And uh, you know, I still consider our firm to be a, a small firm. When, uh, you know, when I looked at getting to a billion dollars, that was like a really big goal for us. But once once we got there, what I told everybody is, you know, a billion dollars isn't what it used to be. Eh, well, no, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but but part of part of what's really helped us to get there and what's differentiated us is is we have an amazing investment platform, especially for a firm our size. Uh, we we have access to amazing alternative investment funds. We've developed our own alternative investment fund that we can make available to accredited investors, which is pretty significant because every single holding within that portfolio is only available to what are called qualified purchasers, which means a $5 million net worth or more, yet our portfolio is available to a million dollar plus. And then really what that's led to is a number of direct investment opportunities. And and our high net worth investors love the direct investment opportunities that we've, we've been able to offer, such as just this past year, we offered SpaceX twice. We've offered Reddit. We've offered Stripe. We've offered Andrill. So, you know, very unique investment platform that that is a differentiating factor. So that's that's number two for us. And then finally, the the third differentiator is collectibles. Um, as I think you know, Marty, mm-hmm. I've I've got a, a fairly significant sports memorabilia collection, and you. Know, what really got me going down the path of, of making that a part of our firm is I sat down 
you know, at some point a, a year or so ago and said, said to myself, you know, Tom, you got a problem. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you don't make it home today, your family knows nothing about your collection. They don't know anything about the value. They don't know anywhere to go with it. And frankly, they don't care about it. And, and so I've devised a scorecard to help people that have high-end collections really have a plan of what to do with their collection, not only at their death, but also while they're living. Mm -hmm. So speaking of these collections, so you have uh, an autographed baseball card and sports memorabilia collection. Yes. Um, with two card sets on the National Registry. Three, actually. Three. Yes. All right. Correction. Three. <laughs> so where did your where did this start? Where did this passion, this interest for this start? Well, that's, that started uh, in, in my youth at mm -hmm. seven years old, going to my first spring training baseball game in uh, Clearwater, Florida, which is where I was born. And uh, literally at that, at that time, they allowed a, a kid like myself to be on, not only on top of a dugout, but to hang over the dugout, you know, hand a ball or a card or a piece of paper to the players and get it signed. And for whatever reason, that, uh, that was always just something that I really enjoyed doing. And uh, that, that kind of led to, well, I was, I was collecting baseball cards as a kid, but it was the autographs that really was where my passion was. In fact, right. in fact I sold all my baseball cards that were not signed when I was in college. Um, and, and so the, the, the passion has followed through of collecting sets. And I started collecting a set, uh, possibly the, the worst possible set you could try to collect from a, a value standpoint, but it just happened to be the year I started doing it again. And that really just got me the bug of, of doing it more. And, and now I have three on the registry and I probably have six or seven sets that could all be number one on the registry. Wow. Now, all three of my sets are number one on the registry at this point. So which autographs are your most prized? Um, I mean, I've got a number of Babe Ruth autographs, which, uh, you know, I, I if if you look at the the stats on Babe Ruth, they're they're pretty amazing. When one player hits more home runs than other teams <laughs> in one year, I mean that's that that's unheard of. Uh, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan, so I have a number of Michael Jordan autographs and memorabilia pieces, and I'm also a big uh, Muhammad Ali fan and have mm -hmm. quite a few autographs of his, plus some of his fight worn boxing trunks, which uh, is is a big part of my wow. collection. So just curious, is there one that you want that you don't have? Oh, there's always something oh, I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's always something I want somebody, that I don't have. Somebody's autograph that you want that you don't have. Yeah, the, 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 the problem with trying to get sets collected is, so my, my top set is the 1952 top set. So there's 407 cards in the set, and I have all but nine mm, autographed. Gee. And, and a couple of that I don't have autographed are big name people. But the problem is, is the other seven nobody's ever heard of but because they're so rare um they're, they're also if i ever do find them they're so expensive mm -hmm. so so yeah it, it's a quest to try to get the the set complete more so than a specific person's autograph because I, I i probably have virtually any specific person's autograph i would want mm -hmm. well, this i mean it just represents a lot of time too that you've put in over the years in, in collecting and pursuing these things. So how does your own understanding of collecting and collectibles then allow you to help like-minded top tier collectors through the Destiny family office? Well, it's, it's like I mentioned earlier, I, I, I figured as I realized 
I had a problem and, and it, you know, this wasn't something that I've known, known or thought about for years. It was kind of an epiphany. It's like, Tom, you got a problem. <laughs> uh, once I realized I had that problem and understanding the business that I'm in, which is to help people with problems like this, I, I figured if I had the problem being in the business that I'm in, that there's probably quite a few people similar to me that have the same problem that have not properly addressed it. And so I, I felt there could be not only a, a niche there to address, but you know, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a double passion niche because, you know, aside from, you know, family and traveling and, you know, the typical things people like to do, my two hobbies and two passions are what I do for business, which, which I'm very passionate about, and my collection. And, and this really is an intersection of those two. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to be able to work with both at the same time. I guess. Makes it very interesting, makes life very interesting. So you've been recognized as a top advisor by Barron's and Forbes multiple times. Mm -hmm. And recently you've been ranked among America's top 250 advisory firms by Forbes and among 75 fastest growing fee-only RIAs by Investment News. So a chance to really be your cheerleader, your own <laughs> cheerleader, Tom. What are you doing that is a catch, that's catching the attention of these industry leaders? Well, I don't know that it's anything specific that we're doing. I, I, I think that, you know, at least one thing I always tell people, especially if I'm, if I'm talking to other advisors that want to emulate the success that we've had, you know, I, I always say you got to get the big stuff right. You know, I mean, there's expectations that, you know, you have to do some planning, you have to have certain returns on investments. You know, the, the, the big stuff has to be done, but it's the little things that make a difference. And we try to focus on the little things. Um, you know, we're, we're never going to have a situation where a live person is not answering our phone. We are always going to uh, be back in touch with people. And this is, this is firm wide, not just me, but you know, we're gonna be back in touch with people within 24 hours, usually much sooner. Um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna recognize people's birthdays and anniversaries and you know, really, th this is a relationship business, and the relationships that that I've been able to accumulate in business for the thirty plus years I've been there are, you know, it's one of the most important things in my life to me. And uh, so, I, again, I, I think it just boils down to doing the right thing, taking care of people, doing what you would want, knowing what you know, being empathetic, and. Um, you know, giving people the peace of mind that, that they deserve. Paying attention to those personal details makes such a difference. And that is, that's really always been the success of, of a business for, for centuries, really. And then now we're in this environment where everything is so high tech and then you get removed from people. But if someone is taking care of basics like that, I mean, just have a person who answers the phone. You call and you get a live person on the other end. That's huge. Yes. Really. And oh, it's, 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 it's aggravating to get the, the opposite of that. Yes, sure. it's a very, and everybody's been through that too. Oh, yeah. Everybody's been on the receiving end of that and, and you know, and we hate it. And there's yes. nothing we can do about it, you know. So uh, now you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, in 2023, your firm exceeded a billion dollars in yes. assets under management. So uh, where do you go from here? Then what's the next milestone? What, what are the next goals that you set? Well, the, the, the you know, the firm goals are, you know, financially driven and, and, you know, we have a lot of 
of other goals and priorities that, you know, if, if I were a client listening to this would probably be more meaningful. But the, the, you know, the, the bottom line is we, we set a goal six years ago, a, a, a 10X our business in 10 years. And, and the goal was to grow the business 10 times based on assets that we were managing based on our revenue and, and then have a, a pro profitability component in there because that needs to be there as well. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say that we're, we're six years into it. We are almost on track. We're not, you know, end of 2023, we weren't quite there, but, but within a, you know, a small shot of being where we needed to be. And, and that goal for what it's worth is, is to be managing three and a half billion dollars by the end of 2027. Mm, okay. Yes. So how would you say you've led the curve as the industry has changed and it's evolved over the last 30 years? And um, obviously a lot of changes in the last 30 years. And then, <laughs> and then what, what do you see for the future? Well, the future is tough because uh, I'll answer that part first because you know, you don't a, have a crystal wall. A, AI, AI is going to change things. The, the um, rapid continual expansion of technology is going to continue to change things. And, and we're actually, you know, working on a, what I call a next gen business model, because unlike, you know, what, what you and I would like, as far as somebody answering the phone, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Gen Y and Gen Z, they operate a little bit differently. And, and we've actually realized that our business model is not a real appealing model to younger people. And my goal is for our firm to be a perpetual firm. I hope to be here a long time, but 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 I want it to be here beyond me. And and the only way that's going to happen is is to have a business model that's also appealing to the younger generation. Going back to the first part of, of your question, uh, I, I feel very fortunate, and I'd almost call it lucky. Um, but you know, there's there's that intersection between luck and wisdom that happens. But we've we've been ahead of the curve in our industry. Uh, most of my career. I mean, we, we went to fee-based business in 1998, which w was probably the first five or 10% in the industry to, to do so. Um, I, I feel like establishing our family office seven years ago, you know, now that's kind of the end thing to do for financial firms like ours. Um, and, and even the, the alternative and direct investments that, that I spoke of, you know, that is, that's probably one of the biggest things pushing financial advisory firms right now is to get access to what we've had access to for many years now. Um, I, I attend a lot of conferences and every conference is about alternative investments and, and AI. And uh, um, that's because that's top of mind awareness right. to these advisors. And, and, and we've already been there and built that out a little bit. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll continue to be cutting edge. We're I always say I, I forget the uh, the technical term for it, but we're you know we're not the we're not the first ones in, but we're typically the early adopters, and uh, and I think we'll continue to do so. And on the subject of AI, what do you see that you see how it's affecting you right now, and what you how would you project maybe because uh, it's happening so quickly? Yeah. How, how would you project how it may affect your firm in a year? Two years, you know, twelve months, twenty-four months. Yeah, candidly, I I don't know the answer to that. It, mm -hmm. it, it 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 there is just so much out there, and there's so much potential impact. But you know, I I, I think a couple things I think of is is one is 
I think there's the potential for us for it to help us from a marketing standpoint. I think you can use AI to reach a bigger breadth of, of people out there and get your message out. So I, I think that's a positive. The the second thing that I believe it does is is I believe it can help in in selection of you know some of the financial aspects or you know whether it's individual stocks or or whatever it may be. I personally don't think that's there yet, but I do think there's there's going to come a point where there's so much information readily available that it's going to help make our job of of selection and maybe even I hate to say market timing because we're not market timers, but but I I do think there's going to be some capabilities out there that um, you know whether we end up using that or not I, I I think it is going to change the landscape. Right. Yeah. No. There's no predicting it. I mean, you're just it's kind of unfolding on its own. You're seeing how it how it affects everything. Um, so a basic question, why did you start this podcast, the Significance of Wealth podcast? What what do you want to do with this? Well, I, I wanted to, to reach out to a broader base of people and I, and I wanted to focus on, you know, you know, the three initiatives that we we spoke of earlier. So the the idea behind the podcast is, is I have the three, I'm going to call it silos that we have. And and the goal is going to be to rotate between those those silos to 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 attract or um, you know be beneficial or useful to the listener. So the, the the first silo is just the pure family office silo, where we're going to focus more on needs of family offices. You know whether we're talking about estate planning or, or tax savings or you know things that'll benefit families with a lot of wealth. The, the second component is, is going to focus on different investment alternatives. So, um, you know, whether it's, it's the direct investment such as, you know, who is Stripe? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Why is, why is this company a, a differentiator? You know, I, I think that information is, is very interesting to a lot of people out there. And then the third leg of a stool, if you will, is going to be the collectible side. Mm. So we're going to have some, some podcasts that focus not only on the collectibles that, that I focus on, the sports memorabilia, but you know, it could be artwork, it could be exotic cars, it could be you know anything that people want to collect. So uh, the, the goal is to have a, a diversified podcast that, that hopefully has appeal to a lot of people out there. Well, I think you're going to be doing that. How, how do you define wealth significance and the impact that it can make on you uh, your family, your business, uh, just everything around you. I think everybody has to define that themselves. Um, I mean, it, it, it's all relative. Um, How do you define wealth? What is was is, was there a thing in your mind at some point? You know, where you thought if I if I am like this, if if this is happening in my life, or you know, I've got this, then I'm I'm coasting. I'm there. I'm arrived. I've arrived. I my personality is probably one of of never coasting and feeling like I've arrived. But as you asked the question, which, you know, I, I was not um, aware of what the questions were going to be, but it, it's interesting that, that two things crossed my mind. And of course, they they both relate back to, um, to, to my much younger days. And the, the first is going to a restaurant in Central Florida with my girlfriend at the time and having X amount of dollars of, of cash in my pocket and looking at the menu and, and listening to her order and me order 
and calculating it up in my head to, to make sure I had enough money to pay the bill. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll never forget leaving that restaurant. I said to myself, I want to be in a position that I never have to look at a price again. Look at the right side of the menu. But you, you don't, all, all you have to do is look at the left-hand side. You know that's you've right. arrived, Tom, if you only have to look at the left-hand side that's of the menu, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right, that's, that's, where I, that, that's where I wanted to be. And then the, the second thought that came to my mind was the first year in the business, um, you know, and, and I, I started my first four years, I, I spent working for a firm and uh, we were at an outing with another firm and I was in on a conversation and the, the manager of that firm was complaining about one of his advisors who was complaining about how much, how much or how little money he was making. And uh, the manager said, hey, he's making $50,000. You know, I would think he ought to be happy with that. And I just recall sitting there saying to myself, you know what, if I could, if I could make $50,000, my life would be perfect and set. Right. And uh, I can tell anybody listening to this that it's a complete and utter lie to tell yourself that because uh, because like I said, it is it is all relative and, and things change. But, but those uh, are goals, you know, yes, those, they, I mean, I, that's that, you know, that's a long time ago. If you're first getting started, you're a kid and, uh, you know, you have goals. And so you meet them incrementally. That's correct. You know, and then then you reach that goal and then you come up with another goal and That's it's a right. little bit bigger. <laughs> well, we have, you know, we have our 10 year goal for 2027, but, but I've actually started another 10 year goal that affected the beginning of this year. So I mean, it, like I said, there's, I'm, I'm just right or wrong. I'm just a person that uh, is, is not ever really content nor complacent. Yeah. And that lives, you know, for me, that lives through in my personal life. But, I, but again, I, I think for, for our clients, I think that's extremely important because it's what I would want in my advisor uh, or, or my firm. You know, I, I want a firm that is always going to be looking to do better and to get better and provide better offerings. And, uh, and, and we have certainly put ourselves in a position to do that. And suffice it to say, you've been looking at the left-hand side of the menu for a very long time now. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 We're past that point. <laughs> so now we talked about, uh, you know, professional goals and goals met and all that. Personally, what, um, what makes your heart beat? What, what gets you going? Well, uh, you know, this Christmas was spent with my three and a half year old granddaughter and, uh, you know, it, Ever since I started in the business in my early 20s, I'd have my older clients tell me, just wait till you become a grandparent because there's nothing like it. And and uh, and I always believed them, but it's even though you believe them, it's still hard to... You don't know it. Yeah, it's still hard to understand yeah. until you get there. And, uh, you know, having the difference between a two and a half year old at Christmas versus a three and a half year old is a big difference. Yeah. You know, she, she had an amazing Christmas. We had an amazing Christmas with her. Uh, my daughter is pregnant again, uh, due, due late May. So, you know, uh, on the personal side, love, love that part. Our whole family is, is, uh, devoutly into CrossFit. Uh, my son owns part of a CrossFit facility and is a coach, even though he's still in college to go to school for something else. But, um, you know, that's a big part of our life as well. Yeah, no, I know you're you're a good advertisement for CrossFit too. <laughs> You've been that way for a long time, you you and your wife. Well, uh, Tom, it has been great getting to introduce you and Destiny Family Office and the significance of wealth podcast. Uh, we hope our listeners enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. I learned a lot, 
and uh, we'll continue to tune into future episodes. So connect with us at destinyfamilyoffice.com on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Reddit, and uh, recommend our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And so until next time, take care. Thank you, Marty. On behalf of Tom Ruggi and Destiny Family Office, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Significance of Wealth and will continue to tune into future episodes. Connect with us at DestinyFamilyOffice.com on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Reddit, and recommend our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time. The expressed views, thoughts, and opinions in this episode of The Significance of Wealth belong solely to the host and or guests and are not investment recommendations or offers to buy or sell securities or private investments by Destiny Wealth Partners or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. The funds discussed are typically for qualified purchasers, defined as $5 million of investment net worth, exclusive of primary residence.